You're listening to the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for a sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt just got married, and I am all for that. I love love. Congrats to Brad and Angelina. But if I had been invited to the wedding, and I assume that my invite got lost in the mail, I would have been tempted to jump up and object. Not to the match. I approve of the match. I approve of long engagements. I approve of having the kids first. That is how Terry and I did it. So what would I have objected to at the Pitt-Jolie wedding? Actually, something Jolie said about love way back in 2007. Now, people talk about how rare openly gay movie stars are, but Jolie is something far rarer. She's an openly kinky movie star, or she used to be. I've never hidden my bisexuality, Jolie said in that 2007 interview, but since I've been with Brad, there's no longer a place for that or for S&M in my life. Let's not touch the implication that bisexuality and monogamy are mutually exclusive and that Angelina, now that she's committed to Brad, can't be bisexual anymore. There's no room for that in her life. Someone doesn't stop being bi just because they're in a monogamous relationship with someone of the opposite sex or the same sex. Angelina might not be banging chicks these days, but she is still bi. And someone doesn't stop being kinky just because she's not getting her kink on anymore either. A dabbler can stop dabbling, a poser can stop posing, but a kinkster? Still kinky, even if she's not having kinky sex. But the bisexual and the kink angles really aren't what bothered me about what Jolie said, not what still bothers me about what Jolie said. So many grown-ups, and here we get to what bothers me, so many grown-ups seem to believe or feel compelled to pretend to believe that grown-up love, mature love, put a ring on it love is the end of sexual adventure. In love, married, then there is no place left in your life for bisexuality if you're bi or for kinks if you're kinky. Marriage is the end of all that. I secretly hope Jolie was lying. I hope she and Brad are having lots of hot, kinky, bi three-ways with whips and chains and unicorns of both sexes. But even if Jolie doesn't believe what she said, far too many married people do believe that marriage is the end of fun and the end of adventure. And this belief, it is bad for marriage. It hurts marriage. It hurts married people. Angelina Jolie's comments about her sex life now that she's in grown-up love popped into my head late last night for two reasons. First, I was off in Vancouver somewhere having a sexual adventure of some sort with my husband. I can't tell you what we were doing because Terry says I can't and I do what Terry says. (laughs) But we've been together 20 years, married for 10, and there is still a place for that, for sexual adventure in our lives. The other reason Jolie's comments popped into my head last night, Dr. Lori Broto is my guest today. 
Dr. Brodo is the director of the University of British Columbia's Sexual Health Laboratory and an associate professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at UBC. She's done groundbreaking work on genital pain and on asexuality. But what I wanted to talk to Brodo about today is the main focus of her work, sexless relationships and a condition known as sexual interest arousal disorder, also known as low or no libido, a condition that, according to the New York Times, affects 30% of young and middle-aged women. Sexless relationships. I hear from a lot of people, married people, in sexless relationships. And I've always wondered if this idea, pimped by Jolie in 2007, this idea that all sexual adventure must stop the moment you get serious, certainly by the time you get married, if that might not play a role in all these sexless relationships and sexless marriages. I think so. And today I get to ask Dr. Brodo, the leading researcher in the field, what she thinks. Also on today's show, singer-songwriter Rachel Lark and sex questions from our live audience at the Vogue Theater in Vancouver, British Columbia. This week's Savage Lovecast was recorded before this live audience at the first annual Northwest Podcast Festival. And now will you please welcome to the stage, Dr. Lori Brodo. So Dr. Brodo, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Ken. So when did you tell your parents that you were going to be a sex researcher when you grew up? Two weeks ago. <laughs> um, actually, you know, Dan, I, I fell into this field. This was never the plan. It was not in the stars for me. It was literally an accident that I fell into this field. And uh, had always planned to be a researcher, was really interested in depression research. Um, and actually, my first gig was watching rats have sex in a big glass tubes. And I would spend six to eight hours a day in this tiny That was my room. first gig, but I worked at a pizza hut. <laughs> Where we watched rats have sex in buckets of dough. Yeah, mine were in buckets of sawdust, not dough. So I came out smelling like buckets of rats having sex after the end of the day. But anyways, what, what happened over, over time was um, Viagra was approved in 1998 in the U.S., 1999 in Canada. And I started to ask the question, okay, we've got this medication. It's available for men. I wonder what's out there for women. And when I started doing the research and reading, what I realized is that there was absolutely nothing in terms of equivalent medications or treatments for women's low desire. And there still isn't. There's all this been talk for a decade or more now about trying to find the female Viagra and nobody can find it. Yeah, and uh, billions and billions of dollars have been spent. Almost every drug company has been interested in looking for the female Viagra. My own personal view, to cut to the punchline, is I don't think there ever will be a female Viagra. But uh, the hunt is certainly on, and uh, the, the, the race is very expensive. So what is sexual interest arousal disorder? So sexual interest arousal disorder is the official diagnosis that's given to women who will say over a period of at least six months or more, they're not interested in sex, they're not initiating, they're saying no to a partner's invitations, they don't feel a lot of pleasure during sex, they don't think about it, they don't fantasize. The typical things that would have aroused a person in the past, say erotica, uh, other kinds of erotic images, seeing a good-looking person, don't work anymore. And uh, so this 
bunch of symptoms together combined with distress, meaning that it gets in the way of her life in a significant way, means she qualifies for a diagnosis. Now, I I get letters all the time from people who are married to people who have no desire, no libido, low libido, everything that you just described. But those questions don't all come from husbands or, or men about wives and girlfriends. I also get them from wives and girlfriends about husbands and boyfriends. Exactly. So why, when people talk about this, like the New York Times, they said this affects women, but this also affects men? Yeah, so I think there's so much attention on ED, erectile dysfunction, or basically can't getting it up in men. But low desire in men is far more common. It's about twice as common as problems with the penis, per se, than it is, uh, th- than is the case. And so there's much more attention in women. Um, I think there's a lot more effort because of the race to find the female Viagra. There's been a lot of research, a lot of really good research that's tried to understand what are the causes, and it's very, very complex. Now, uh, I recently got a letter at the column from a woman who is everything you just described. Like, the desire is gone, no interest, no libido, uh, doesn't care if she ever has sex ever again. And she was writing, and it was a problem in her marriage because the husband wanted to have sex and they were becoming estranged. She would reject him, he would get hurt. She found out he was having an affair. She found out that he had gone and found somebody. And this is actually the kind of infidelity that would get my blessing if he had written to me, right? It's been five years since she fucked you. Go fuck somebody else. Do what you need to do to stay married and stay sane. And, of course, the clincher, young children, right? So a lot of professional advice columnists and therapists would say the right and honorable thing to do is divorce your wife, abandon your children, and then get a new partner. I'm the asshole because I say stay with your wife, stay with your kid, go fuck somebody else, get out of your system. But she, she caught him cheating. And suddenly she wanted to fuck him again. Suddenly she was insanely horny. Suddenly these things that he wanted to try that she was always not into, toys, anal, three ways, she wants to do it all. And she's writing to me because he doesn't believe her. He thinks it's an act to keep him because he was thinking about leaving her for his new girlfriend. So he thinks she's just going to say, yes, anal, three ways until he recommits. And then she's going to be like, no, anal, three ways. But my, you know, my feeling is that I think it's genuine. I think it brought her desire roaring back. So did she have no libido or low libido, or was she just fucking bored? Yeah. So, I mean, you know what happens in a long-term relationship? We get stability. We get security. Our partner is supposed to be our best friend. No. Um, and there's no room for mystery. There's no room for intrigue. Terry is not my best friend. We don't even speak to each other unless our mouths are full. <laughs> but, but what happens, Dan, is o- over time, what happens is we sacrifice the very things that fuel eroticism in the beginning of the relationship. Which are what? Seeing your partner from a distance, being jealous... The mystery. I wonder what we're going to do tonight. Oh, uh, he, he's going to surprise me. Don't know what we're going to do. Don't know where we're going to go. Et I cetera, call those the hurdles. Like at the beginning of a relationship, you clear these hurdles. They're a mystery to you. They might yeah. be a serial killer. You find out they're not. Oh, kind of boring. <laughs> you know, you have to find the place and the time to have sex. You don't know if you guys are compatible. And you're like gaming all this out. And that game yeah. is exciting. And when that game is over... What replaces it? Yeah, exactly. And in this situation here, so what she sees in him, what she sees sort of from the sidelines is she sees him in a new way. She sees him through the eyes of her lover, this mysterious person who is desirous, who is desirable, and she feels alive again. She finds a side of herself that's been buried and squashed out of her relationship for a long time. So your advice to husbands in relationships like this is to cheat on your wife and let her find out. No, that's your advice, Dan. (laughs) 
<laughs> Actually, I was just joking behind stage to someone that, uh, you know, so often, by the time I give advice to clients who come see me, it's the fourth session, and usually what I say to people is, you know, go listen to Dan's show, you don't save the money, he'll give you the advice within five minutes. <laughs> the advice so. that you can't give, or <laughs> the advice you won't give? Like, gee, I mean... I've heard this before, that oftentimes it's when you're out with your partner, you see them through someone else's eyes. You see someone else desiring them, which is what always makes me lose my mind when people get upset when they saw their partner flirting or angry because somebody flirted with their partner. Their partner's innocent, just standing there, somebody else flirted, and you're mad. This is actually good. It's a good thing. And it can fuel, you can let it fuel anger and bullshit and jealousy and destroy your relationship, or you can let it fuel desire and fuck and keep your relationship going. Yeah. You know, it's it's a much bigger cultural idea that we're challenging here. The idea that, you know, till death do you part and monogamy means that you are with that same person sexually, relationally, and always best friend, et cetera, et cetera, until the day you die. And it's a difficult conversation to have because it really... uh, it, it, it is contrary to so much of what drives our society. Well, and premarital sex used to be contrary to so much of what drove our society. We're over that. Will we ever get over postmarital sex? <laughs> I just took my shirt off for those of you listening at home who weren't at the book theater. <laughs> You know, I think, I think I'll put my research hat on here for a second, and there's some fantastic research. And, uh, you know, we, we know the research on what are the benefits of monogamishy, having a slightly uh, open relationship, etc. And we know what happens that desire for others continues on, and it's healthy and it's normal, and it should be something that should be embraced. At, at least acknowledged. I mean, when you say embrace, some people think you mean I'm being prescriptive and saying Advocated, everyone should be not monogamous. Right. right. But to embrace the thought, the idea, the reality that, of course, your partner wants to fuck other people, and so do you. And how do you process that? Stop policing each other for evidence of what you know to be true. Yes, you want to fuck other people. So does your partner. And relax into it. And be able to acknowledge that. Talk about it. If somebody has a crush on you or your partner, to be able to, like, throw that out and and, and discuss it. That's so much healthier and better for the relationship than folding your arms in front of your chest and blowing up at somebody because this thing that you should already know just you, you just encountered evidence of it. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the talking about is so key because often what we do is we keep our fantasies to ourselves for fear of, will my partner receive this as a rejection? Will they think that I'm a kinky slut? Will they have bad judgments about me, et cetera, et cetera? But what you find is when you start to have those conversations, you know, I'm really attracted to your friend or I'm attracted to that guy across the street, et cetera, et cetera, is that the partner realizes that, wow, we can expand the boundaries of what is considered healthy communication and really use it in a way that fuels our desire and our passion. And that's something that is more present in the beginning of a relationship and over time and with age and with kids and with responsibilities just becomes buried. We have a few questions here from the audience that we'll take that are right up your alley. Would you like to answer some audience cues? Here we go. I'm a 23-year-old woman with a lower sex drive than I want and uh, lower than my partner. He's amazing, sexy, and my best friend. What can I try to increase my sex drive and improve our sex life? Break up with him and date somebody you don't like that much. Worked for me. <laughs> no, I, my husband is here tonight. I'm going to get punched at any moment. He's going to run out of the dark. Um, it's funny. Sometimes Terry and I joke that you know if we weren't 
in love, if there wasn't this strong sexual connection, if there wasn't this intimacy, and there's a real bond, like 20 fucking years. Um, but if there wasn't that, we probably, we, we might not be friends because we don't have, besides each other and the thing we've built together and our love and our attraction, we don't have a lot in common. And so much so that when we first got together, people who knew us, mutual friends, were like, this is never going to work. Mm-hmm. And fuck those people. Because mm-hmm. it yeah. did. Yeah. So were we doing something right that we were such different people dating? Yeah, and now 20 years later, Dan, we've got the research to actually prove what has happened in your relationship. Yeah, (laughs) it wasn't just some freak coincidence. Um, So, you know, to come back to the question here, um, there's there's a lot of different parts of the question that stand out to me. First of all, you know, the breast, the breast, the best friend issue aside. (laughs) Date your breast friend instead of your best friend. Speaking of Freudian slips, this happens to me all the time in my sessions. I digress briefly. Uh, you know, I'll be working with a young guy with premature ejaculation. I'll ask him to bring me up to speed. <laughs> and I catch myself, and I think that, you know, often they don't. So, anyways, par- pardon the Freudian slip. So, what is the research on dating someone, your best friend, someone you're that close with intimately? Is that bad? Is yeah, that a bad plan? It is bad. It is bad. And again, the, the idea that we need to da, know. Da, 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 da. <laughs> We're like writing the death warrant for this poor woman's relationship. We don't need, you don't need to know every last little bit of everything about your partner. You don't need to know everything your partner is thinking and feeling and doing. You want to create space. You want to create some room for mystery, some room for eroticism. You can do that in the course of a long-term relationship, but you have to actively try to do that. Have other friends, have other, have other hobbies, go on separate vacations sometimes, watch your fart partner from the side of the room, etc. The so, cliche applies, distance makes the heart grow fonder. Get the yeah. fuck away from each other sometimes, <laughs> and you, you might want to then fuck each other when you see each other again, right? Exactly. Go on a separate vacation wherever you are. If you're here with your boyfriend, tell him you're leaving the building now, you're going to Vegas, you'll see him in a week. Yeah. There you go. So, you know, the question of uh, my sex drive is low. You know, it, sex drive isn't something like a gas tank that you walk around with and it fuels your sexual interest and then it becomes expended and you have to wait for it to regenerate, etc. Cetera, et cetera. That's not how sex drive works. Sex drive is something that happens in response to something. So you see something that excites you or that elicits your excitement. And that's what sex drive is. So the first thing that I do when someone says, you know, my sex drive is gone, I want to find out exactly what are they doing? What are the kinds of triggers in their relationship? Is it a, you know, tap, 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 screw, sleep? At the end of the night, or are they using things that are exciting to them? Is sex pleasurable? If it's not pleasurable, find a way to make it pleasurable again. So get away from the idea that you are born with a certain sex drive. No, it's something that can be cultivated over time, but it's, you've got to be open to experimenting. Do you think her age might have something to do with it? 23 years old? I have found in the course of giving sex advice in my column, on my podcast now for 23 years, that a lot of young women, because of the way young women are socialized, to not be sexual, to not masturbate, really tamp down their own agency to such a degree they can't find it anymore. They can't really tap into their own desires, their own fantasies, their own lusts at 23. But by 40, it's all. that's why everybody who is reading Fifty Shades of Grey was a middle-aged lady and not a 22-year-old lady on the trip. Exactly. By 40, it's blowing up yeah, under exactly. them. Yeah. What's your advice for somebody who's 23 who may have 
may, whose sexuality may be un, uncharted terrain, undiscovered territory even for her. How do you tap into that? Yeah, I would, I would start by giving her permission to explore her body, to figure out what works. Uh, you know, boys are socialized. They know where their penis is. My four-year-old knew exactly how good his penis felt when he had a bath and the water was running on his penis. So they're learn, they learn and they socialize from such a young age. And, and young girl- men arrive at partnered sex, experts in their own orgasm. Absolutely. They have been jacking it for 10 years or five years at least. Yeah. They arrive at partnered they sex know. knowing knowing what it takes yeah. and too many young women arrive at partnered sex and like no okay idea. here's my vagina I've never had an orgasm I've never touched myself make it work right and 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 <laughs> it's true like, a, like you said, guys know what they need and it's going to be there. I yeah. like to say if a guy needs a canoe and a goat yeah. to get off, you will go home with him that first time and there's going to be a canoe and a goat in his bedroom. <laughs> and he's going to be, that's what it takes, canoe and a goat. You're in for it. You're up for my canoe and my goat or you're not. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, age has something to do with it, absolutely. And the research shows that as well. We find the highest proportion of orgasm problems in young women And by the time they're 30, 40, you know, the the proportion of orgasm problems bottoms out. Why? Because they're more comfortable in their body. They're more comfortable asking for what they want. They know the vagina is not necessarily the gateway to mind-blowing orgasms. There's Always been true for me. (laughs) (laughs) So that that would certainly be some of my advice to her is give her lots of permission to explore her body couple other quick questions. I want to open up my closed relationship, but don't know how to tell my partner or how he will react. What do I do? I love him, but I need some spice. Mm. Wow. Well, uh, you could, uh, I don't know if this person is in the audience, but you could go home and say, you know, was that a live screen of the Savage Lovecast today? And I learned some really new information that I hadn't heard before. What do you think? And I'm, I'm not saying that in a, in a joking way. I often will say that to people who um, ask that question. How do I bring this up with my partner? You can say, I read this somewhere. I heard this somewhere. I read a book. I met someone, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what the danger in that I've always found um, is we live in such a sex-negative culture that sometimes people who you know want to get tied up or, or have some kink or want to explore something will try to raise it in a neutral way, yeah. and the partner will react negatively because that's what you do. When anybody brings up sex, they're like, mm, no. And then the person with that desire who is trying to be neutral feels wounded, and the partner might not even feel that negatively about it. But if you presented it in a more proactive way, like this is something that interests me, yeah. you're less likely to get that instant sex negative no. Definitely, yeah. And it may be a conversation that unfolds over the course of many months or even many years. And so, you know, if, the, if your partner uh, is completely opposed to the idea right from the outset, give it another chance. Wait, wait a bit and ask again. Next question. I am in a relationship where my partner acts way too suspicious over everything I do. This makes me want to fiercely protect what little privacy I have. How can I nicely suggest... That he quit hovering over my life. I'm not guilty of anything yet. I am constantly feeling bad about what I do. Dump the motherfucker. D- I was <laughs> DTMFA completely. This, this, this is a couple that in 15 years and two kids will come to you and they haven't had sex for a decade. Because and say, Doc, please fix. The jealousy, yeah. the, the, the paranoia, the, the control has completely yeah. extinguished her desire of libido. Yeah, you know, and to answer your question, she could, she's, she's answered her own question, she could politely let, the, let her partner know, listen, when you 
monitor and police every last thing I do, it affects how attracted I am to you. It affects our sexuality. It affects everything. And she can start there. And if depends on his, depending on his response, uh, if uh, he continues that behavior, DTMFA. Yeah, DTMFA. That, that needs to be an academic term, does it, it is. not? It is. And <laughs> I would also tell him, what are you looking for proof of? You're looking for proof of something that's true, that I will admit. I do want to fuck other people. I am not fucking other people, nor do I think you are, but what are you looking for evidence of? Sometimes I see other guys I think are hot. Sometimes I might flirt with another guy. Absolutely. So if that's unacceptable, if you can't be in a relationship with somebody who wants to fuck other people, get a real doll. Yeah. Because everybody, every other woman you ever date in your entire life is either going to be lying to you successfully about not wanting to fuck other people or just as guilty and policed and unhappy as I am. Yeah, yeah. And my guess is uh, I don't know how much she knows about this person's past relationships, but my sense is that there's probably a bit of a track record of this kind of policing happening and that's not specific to her. Last one. In an online profile, someone described themselves as an asexual, poly, neurodivergent, transgenderqueer, panromantic, kinky cuddle slut. <laughs> I am trying to understand what it means, Dan. Help a girl out. <laughs> we are Dan, all... how, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just take asexual. Yeah. Well, you know what I love about this question, actually? It, uh, it brings up sexual identity, gender identity, sexual orientation, and sexual attraction, which are all very, very different constructs. So let's start with asexuality. Asexuality is probably a sexual orientation. Uh, Dan, you can feel free to disagree or agree with me. Oh, no, 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 I agree. It's an area of uh, a lot of research, and essentially this is a person who says, I have never been attracted to anyone, anyone, anything. When friends talk about feeling horny, being interested, I can't relate. I would rather read a book. I'd rather go for a walk. And so asexuality affects about between 1% to 5% of the population. These are folks who are not bothered by their lack of attraction and lack of desire, and they look just like you and I. Dr. Lori Brodo, she will be back later in the show for the Advice Slam with Rachel Ark and me. Thank you. Earlier this year, I was in San Francisco where I finally got to catch... Uh, body storytelling. It's an evening of spoken word that bills itself as true stories about sexual adventures. It's curated by uh, Dixie de la Tour, and body is a huge hit. It's a phenomenon, and it's spreading to other cities. It's come to L.A. and Seattle, and it's headed to Vancouver. Watch out for it. You're going to want to be there. Anyway, I was at body a few months ago enjoying the stories when this really cute girl, excuse me, this empowered, self-actualized, fully grown adult woman, came out on stage with a ukulele and sang a song about something so sexually adventurous. Rachel Lark was the singer's name, and the song was fucking filthy and fucking hilarious, but also really smart. Rachel moved to San Francisco in 2011 to join a band. She's toured all over North America, but she never wrote a dirty song before Dixie asked her to start writing dirty songs for her body, and Rachel has found her calling... Now she performs regularly with Body and at other sex-positive events. I am, if you listen to the show, you know, a huge Tim Minchin fan. I'm a huge Garfunkel and Oates fan, a huge Tom Lehrer fan, a Sondheim fan. And Rachel, in my opinion, is right up there with all of them. I am thrilled to have her here tonight. Please welcome, from San Francisco, Rachel Lark. 
think it's time We've been comfortable for quite a while Now you is fine And I don't whine But hitting the sack can often lack an element of surprise My self-help books and Oprah too Say I should be making better love to you My women's group and my guru Talk about the levels we could get into I'm sick of making love the way that we made babies Don't be lazy, let's get crazy Ooh, let's try 69 Now I lie down No, wait You lie down. Hang on. Where are my feet supposed to go? I'm up against the wall. Okay. You scoot down. Perfect. Then I sit down. Ow! Why'd you bite me? What the fuck? I'm doing this for you. I hope you know. Not every woman would expose herself. So are we doing it yet? Did it start? Honestly, I'm kind of scared that I might fart. Where's your heart on? Where'd it go? Jeez, what the hell am I supposed to blow? Try 69 Is this how it's supposed to feel? Honestly, I'm insecure and mad Maybe I don't need nothing new You like fucking me And I like fucking you It's such a tease My clits turn purple No one's satisfied in a massage circle inside me and your eyes on mine just like every lay we've had fuck 69 now fuck me hard and fuck me deep grab my ass and then give my tits a squeeze now kiss me deeply Pull my hair, I won't come till you do, babe. Hey, it's only fair. Now, honestly, just can't beat. Bang until you're coming simultaneously. Belly to belly and face to face. Dick to pussy, everything in its place. Missionary always does the trick. I'm a vanilla chick who likes fucking dick. Ooh, fuck 69. Ooh, fuck 69. Thank you. Shit just gets too much attention. Did you know flowers fuck? Did you know that's why they get all dressed up and spread there? Pedals out and strut their stuff. These can't get enough. Crativa religiosa or perfect flower preciosa has both a pistol and a stamen, meaning it can find its way in on its own. Stogamous, extremely monogamous These flowers are autonomous Bottomless, pollenless Unless they choose to Often they refuse to Their beauty is for them and not you Oh yes, it's true But 
the needy seedy might just make you plead animophilus flowers use the wind to breed call it greed i'm talking birch maple and ragweed the pollen comes from far away sometimes traveling all day the stamens feather like begin to sway and the pollen is typically small grained very light and of little nutritional value to animals Now don't you judge the plant reality Cause some flowers are into bestiality They pawn a little trick and say come look at me I'm just as sexy as that little birdie Cause every bug and every bird who swings the floral way Has that special secret blossom with whom they can play And the fruits of their loving are as sweet as can be So pop them in your lover's mouth and lick the juice up and say Hey, did you know flowers fuck? Did you know that's why they get all dressed up and spread their petals out and strut their stuff? Bees can't get That song uh, was inspired by botany class No joke But then later I found out about Annie Sprinkle uh, Who uh, coined the term Ecosexual So if you're turned on by nature there's, uh, There's community out there for you
We know what you're all doing after the show. <laughs> all right, I'm going to take a few questions solo, then Rachel's going to come back and sing you a few more songs, and then uh, Rachel and Dr. Brodo and I will all be advice-slamming the shit out of some of your questions. First question, just for me. Is it possible to be mentally and or emotionally attracted to the same sex, but not physically? That's called Friendship. Yes, and you can have a romantic friendship. I think romantic friendships should have a, a, a boom. They should come back. One of the problems that gay people created for straight men, uh, besides the expectation that you will eat pussy now, because if we're eating each other's asses, you have got to come through with the pussy eating, <laughs> is it really made uh, the romantic friendships between straight men complicated because people would look at them and think, that's kind of gay, your attachment to that guy. Uh, and hopefully as the culture becomes less homophobic and as individual straight guys become less worried about whether they're perceived possibly by some strangers or even friends to maybe be gay themselves, uh, those romantic friendships between straight men will resume their rightful place uh, in straight culture, just as romantic friendships between straight women have always had a place in straight women's lives. Dating bisexual girlfriend in love with her, I am man, he, he. 
<laughs> You're a, a nine-year-old man, it seems. <laughs> Dating bisexual girlfriend, in love with her, I am man, he he. How do we balance intimacy, other partners, in terms of fairness? How can I get my fun and eat it too? Um, this is a problem, you know. It's easy for women to get laid because men are pigs, right? Um, and if your girlfriend is out there looking for other uh, bi women to sleep with, there are three times as many bi-identified women as lesbian women. If she's looking for other lesbians, she can find it. It's easy for a straight couple when they open their relationship. You hear this a lot. She's having no trouble finding new partners, new playmates, but the straight guy is. And that can seem unfair and out of whack and unbalanced. So I really think that if you're a straight girl or a bi girl and your male partner who may be straight or may be by himself agrees to this open relationship, if you want the open relationship to work, if you want uh, this not to be poisoned by resentment because you're getting tons of other junk and he's not, you kind of have to give him an assist. You kind of have to help him out, if only by vouching for him as a good and loving sex partner, recommending him to your friends. If you're, you meet some hot bi chick and you're getting it on with her, Offer your boyfriend, not as a requirement to get into your pants, but as a bonus, right? Like, throw a little his way if you want to continue to have the freedom to go your way. That would be my advice. But you have to do the work, too. Get on OkCupid, put yourself out there, be honest, uh, be open, be, and be looking. Don't just be sulking, because it's a little harder for you to look and find than it was for her. Dear Dan, I teach sex ed to teenagers. If you could tattoo one thing on their brains... The one thing they must know, what would it be? P.S. We insist our students read your column and quote you in every lesson, and you're still employed. <laughs> That's how we know we're in Canada. <laughs> teachers, teachers who want unemployment for a year in America will quote me in a lesson <laughs> and get it. Ugh. The one thing, and I think the most important thing, is the magic ingredient, uh, which is consent. And to obtain it, to make sure you've got it, to make sure it is uh, sustained throughout, um, to use your words. Asking is sexier than moving. Uh, a lot of people feel like if they have to ask, if they ask for consent, they're kind of stepping outside of seduction, stepping outside of sex. Because uh, sex should just sort of explosively happen. People just lunge at each other in the movies or on TV. And so that's sexy when it just sort of combusts. That's sexy. That's what we're trained to believe is sexy. Unfortunately, some people get combusted at when they're not feeling it, and that's not fucking sexy. Um, but there's a sexy way to get and obtain consent. If you look at somebody and you, you know, everything's sort of smoldering and you think it might combust, and you look at them and go, excuse me, are we about to have sex? Because if we are, I would like to. Would you like? That's not sexy, right? You are stepping outside. But if you look at somebody in that smolder moment and you go, God, I really want to fuck you. That's sexy, right? I've been on the receiving end of that. I've literally been on the receiving end of that. That's fucking sexy. So you can find, I really want to kiss you. I would really like to do this. You're not saying, I would really like this mother may I. You're not asking expressly for permission, but you're putting it out there and you're waiting for the yes. You're waiting for the lunge back. Right? You can say, I really want to kiss you, and then they throw themselves at you and kiss you. That's yes. Right? If you say, I really want to fuck you, and their pants are on the floor and their ass is in the air, 
That's a yes. Uh, So I really think the one thing I would tattoo on their heads is the importance of consent. And to forget everything that you've seen, this long thing to tattoo on a single forehead, tattoo it in lemon juice and they have to hold their foreheads over a candle to read it, is consent. And what you've seen in in movies and on television uh, and pornography, and they're all watching pornography, what you've seen is not consent. Uh, you've seen people who've already consented to have sex pretend that they're consenting in that moment. The consent happened off screen, off camera, uh, before tape started rolling, when the porn models signed their releases. That's when the consent may have happened. Uh, but you have to make sure that you have it. Because, and, you know, we don't want to pathologize boys, uh, and we don't want to victimize girls. We don't have a system that victimizes and terrorizes young women, although we do have that system. But we also have to remember there are a lot of boys out there who are doing what they think they're supposed to do. They're supposed to show mastery, not control mastery, but like skill. They're supposed to be, make the move, be the seducer. And a lot of those boys who are making those moves when they're not wanted or welcomed aren't intentionally trying to hurt anybody and feel awful about it. And we're setting them up for that too. We're not just setting up girls for the pain of having the lunge happen when they don't want it, for, for sexual assault. We're also setting up the boys. Uh, to be victimized is much worse. Sometimes to be the victimizer Uh, unintentionally can also be traumatizing. So for the sake of both boys and girls, uh, gay or straight, bi, trans, whatever, we have to hammer home uh, active and vocal affirmative consent. Would anyone like to speak in opposition? As a third party in an open relationship, should I confirm with both people that the relationship is actually open and it's not just someone cheating on their partner? That's hard. That's difficult. Because a lot of people in open relationships will tell you, and it is true, that the open relationship they have is a DADT relationship. Don't ask, don't tell open relationship. You know what? You're going to do whatever you, you do. what you do. I'll do what I do. Um, you know, we'll be socially monogamous, not sexually monogamous. But I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know about it. If you do it, be discreet. Don't fuck my mother on the lawn in front of me, right? <laughs> do what you want. Don't tell me about it. And if that's their deal, you have to make your best judgment. You have to look at this person and say, are they telling the truth or are they just reaching for an easy out? If they tell you that their partners are fine with it, a quick email exchange um, or a quick phone call or a quick text or a quick casual meeting with that partner, uh, I think is a reasonable thing to ask for. But if it's DADT, you have to use your own judgment about whether you believe them. If they're generally a lying sack of shit, if that's your experience with that person, probably lying. If they're truthful, probably telling the truth. Hi, Dan. I have a lot of trouble with bottoming. Sometimes it works, but mostly it doesn't. Usually smaller penises are easier. Is it just physical? Is it ever psychological? Because sometimes a big guy is fine. When it works, I love it. Practice, practice, practice. You just have to keep getting to know your ass. Uh, My recommendation to build your confidence is to do it alone. Uh, Get toys, get dildos, get vibrating butt plugs, and explore uh, what works for you, because it could be about lubrication, angle of penetration, position, certain sizes, shapes, certain times when you're not good to go. And the the more you play with your ass alone, the better you'll know your ass when it comes time to play with it uh, with and for someone else. And now, because that's enough out of me, I really want to bring Rachel back. Rachel Lark, everybody. I'm really glad glad that um, Dan brought up affirmative consent. 
Um, there's been a lot of talk about sexual assault lately, and uh, a lot of men feel like their point of view isn't being explored enough. So, this is for you guys. It's confusing being a boy, wanting to fuck everything inside. Sometimes it's an inner fight. Yeah, some girls, they'll play with my head. They'll say they want it one minute and change their minds when you're already in bed. It's not fair. No, really, it's such a tease. These girls need to learn to clearly express their wants and needs. They change their mind. So how's a guy to know? Is she playing games or does no really mean no? Well, if you're not sure it's not rape, don't do it. If it feels a little bit rapey, just don't do it. Well, if you're not sure that it ain't, leave your dick right next to your teeth. Yeah, if you're not sure it's not rape, then just don't do it. It's confusing being a bro. Girls can fuck whoever they want. They really run the show. They lead us on and accept our drinks. Yeah, they're asking for it, then they act surprised. It happens more than you think. It's not fair. No, really, it's such a tease. These girls need to learn to clearly express their wants and needs. So hold a workshop, teach these girls right now how to say no, because clearly they don't know how. Well, if you're not sure it's not rape, don't do it. Make sure they want to fuck you back. Yeah, make damn motherfucking sure. They want to fuck you back. Which can sometimes lead to some bodily alienation You add to that the likelihood of trauma about one in three And you got yourself what I would call a perfect recipe for some fear and confusion Greeting you in that bed, yeah Suddenly you're an intrusion in their body and in their head A freeze response is just one reason that women might not say no
being disappointed is never any fun And sorting these things out is easier said than done Well, I'm not trying to belittle it Here's your small violin, you can fiddle it It's just fucking consent, so deal with it Lesson two will be how to find the clit I'm sick and tired of having these basic conversations But women are still being forced into sex all over the whole nation to play a little song about the flip side of that scenario. It's called Mature Adults. I'm a mature adult and I've learned a lot and I know better than to say shit in the form of a promise but I'm grinning ear to ear thinking about you sitting here Wondering which part of you I would kiss first I'm seeing the best and accepting the worst We're doing it right So far I think we're just fine You care what I like and I like what you care about Nothing too heavy so nothing to talk about Hey, throw some sugar my way Let's stop traffic today You're my cowboy, I'm your rock princess Let's get all fucked up and then get undressed We're mature fucking adults Sugar my way, 
It might as well be sore I started screaming and begging for more It was a scene of blood and gore After a few hours We showered Also in the dark 
said for some reason that he couldn't explain He'd been unleashed in a whole new way He picked me up and said let's go again Then he turned on the lights and he saw the stains He didn't turn the lights down and he still went down He didn't even care that his face was all brown He said girl you taste good and girl you taste sweet I said you do it right you get a monthly treat Cause just like steak pussy tastes better when it's Rachel Lark. Rachel will be selling her CDs in the lobby after the show, and if you're listening uh, at home, you can go to rachellark.com to order her CD or get her music or check her out, watch her videos, which are great. Um, Joining us now for the Advice Slam segment of the evening, uh, Dr. Lori Broto coming back. And Rachel Lark. Poor Terry is backstage. You need smelling salts after that number. (laughs) You about fainted. Um, Before we start the advice line, we're just going to tear through as many questions as we can before we run out of time. Um, You have a song called Relationship Advice. I do. And it's a cappella. Yeah. And it's short. Yeah. Would you bang that out for us? Sure. Um, let's love till we don't love each other no more Let's fuck until our bodies are sore Let's hold on till it feels like a chore And then let's not do it anymore I have to say, as a professional relationship advice jerk That's terrible relationship <laughs> advice Of course there could be moments when it feels like a chore And you kind of like plow through those moments and the good comes back that's true, but I also, I've, I think that I um, feel things intensely and also move through things quickly. And I think a lot of people are scared of the relationship ending, and that keeps them from expressing things fully. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a silly fear, because the relationship's going to end somehow. Like, best case scenario, one of you dies, you know? <laughs> like, so, that, so. that is the best case. <laughs> I've always said that if you know at the funeral home you should be like, hey, successful marriage, awesome. Right. <laughs> so if you both survived the marriage, it failed. But if one of you motherfuckers is dead, well, job you well know, done. That's like eventually all relationships are going to end. So the idea of holding things in and sort of not um, not being true to your feelings for fear of a relationship ending, I think, is silly. And if you let go of that worry of commitment and you just know that we're going to keep doing this while it feels like a good thing and mm-hmm. we'll stop when we when it doesn't then good is that terrible advice no, to I never think... hold anything in because don't you aren't there things that a couple in a relationship that that can't be unsaid like something that's so even if you honestly feel it that you have to shut up Sometimes yeah. you have to eat or you'll destroy the relationship. Yeah, you know, I, th- I think it's mostly true, but I think there is some value in using judgment in keeping certain things Judgment, you might want to give that a try, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go, some questions. Sorry, I, like, sing that song so I could beat you up for five minutes. 
I am a heterosexual woman and I have never been attracted to women, but I only like lesbian porn as it turns me on so much. What is going on here? Is there a hidden girl crush inside me? Okay, I'll jump in. So, um, you know, this is a fascinating area of research because what we are able to do, and yes, we have ethics permission to do this, is we bring people into our labs, we show them pornography and erotica, we hook different things up to their genitals, and then we also ask them... No, I'm, I'm being dead serious. And, 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 and fact, how, do you, how do you control for the medical fetishists who might be lining up for this treatment? <laughs> wouldn't they skew your sample? No, we screen them out. So... Um, so Canada actually is, uh, is a hub for this kind of research. Some of the best research that has led us to our understanding of sexual attractions and sexual uh, responses really comes from Canada. So what we know in terms of how women respond to pornography and erotica and fantasy is that they're pretty indiscriminate. So you bring a, a straight identifying woman into a lab... You can show her straight porn, you can show her bisexual porn, you can show her monkeys having sex, you can show her lesbian sex, and her genitals will respond. Now, she may not, she, she may not say that that turns her on. So there's this kind of separation between what the body does and what the mind does, and w- this is just sort of a normal facet of the women's sexual response. So to and it this, confuses some women because they get aroused by something that seems to have no connection to their the erotics in their, their, their head. Their head's not turned on... Their, their junk is. Why do, what's the theory about why that might be the case? Yeah, you know, there's lots of theories. And uh, just to say how it confuses some people, there's, there is a dark side to that also, Dan, and that is, you know, in an instance of non-consent or rape, there's a good chance that a woman's body will respond to the sexual scene, even though she's not giving consent. And this is deeply horrifying and distressing to the person because then she's confronted with messages around, well, did I really want it because my body responded? So the answer to that is, you know, evolution probably plays a big role in that, that probably over time women's bodies have evolved to respond to sexual triggers as a way of protecting ourselves so that uh, it protects against infection, it protects against uh, tearing, vaginal tearing, other kinds of... uh, um, intrauterine tract infections, etc. So, so the message then would have to be, you weren't betrayed by your genitals in that moment, you were protected by your genitals, were protecting you. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And so just coming back to the issue of consent, so we need to accept that the body and the mind may respond differently, and this is completely normal, and it really emphasizes consent. Hi, how can I get a friendly man for a threesome with my female partner? I am a GGG man. You live in the SF Bay Area. That's the epicenter of all threesomes. (laughs) Yeah, I I would say find a find a sex positive, warm, inviting um, play party to go to. And what's great about those environments is you can just be really upfront about what you know. You can have a casual conversation with someone and say, "We're looking to find what was it a a A friendly GGG man man." threesome." And there'll be three that are like, hey, I'm that. And then you're good to go. And what's good about a play party is people aren't pretending that they're not there for the sex. Right. People go to clubs, live shows, out to bars. They go here, they go there. And the pretense is I'm here for the band. Right, exactly. So there's, a, there's less deception. But at the same time, I think um, a play party versus like a Craigslist ad uh, where you've sort of figured out that this is going to happen right away. Play party, there's still room for the connection to develop naturally just without all of the sort of game of deception and getting to the sex. So I I would say play party. Find one. I learned healthy behaviors from your podcast. (laughs) Oh, God, I feel sorry for you. (laughs) 
But do you feel that young people are turning to pornography for their education and are unable to distinguish between fantasy and reality, especially in regards uh, to young gay men and barebacking in porn? Unfortunately, we've sort of ceded sex education to pornography. Um, there's so much opposition to sex education, and there's so much pornography. It's, ubiqu- it's ubiquitous, and people are getting their sex ed, and it's really shaping their sexual expectations. And nobody is running interference with young people and saying, this is kabuki sex. You know, porn sex is to sex as action movies are to Tuesday. <laughs> and there's going to be huge gulfs, you know? If life was like action movies, every once in a while you'd look up and a building would fall over. Um, or there'd be a high-speed car chase. And how often do you see that? Rarely, hopefully. Um, and you need to, we need to say that to people. I just, we have to accept the reality that a lot of kids are getting their sex ed from porn, which isn't always necessarily bad. Um, you know, it's, maybe it's overcorrecting for a time when people got their sex ed from the church. <laughs> or their priest... Sometimes hands-on. I'd rather... Anyway. (laughs) You work with a lot of young people. Yeah, you know, Dan, if I can just jump in here a second. Um, There was a big study that was released this week from the UK, and it was actually entitled How the Brits Changed Their Mind About Sex. And uh, one of the really striking findings from that study, huge population-based study, was that actually people are having sex less often but it's being replaced with online pornography, other kinds of sexual outlets. And so I think it's a reality of our times that young people are indeed getting their education from pornography and erotica. And while it's not the best, I think it's a starting point for a conversation. I also think a lot of people pathologize other people's uses of pornography. Because we know that I go to pornography or you go to pornography um, to, you know, just to see what you like, what you watch, to have a little release, to have a little fun. But we worry about these other people who are going to pornography for all the wrong reasons. It's never us. We're never misusing pornography. And I think we can extrapolate from, for the most of us, the overwhelming majority of us who use porn in a healthy way as a supplement or a release or an outlet, that, that most other people are also using porn in that way. There's always, when it comes, I think, to sexual issues, the concern always tacks toward the biggest idiot in the room. You know, the person that you can't get a condom on to save, literally to save his life in the 80s and 90s, um, and everybody would run in circles worried about that person and neglecting the person who was reachable, who was persuadable. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, look away from the biggest idiot who's being damaged by pornography, because that idiot arrived at pornography damaged, not damaged by pornography. Um, During my pregnancy, late 20s female, I discovered a fetish for having my husband come on my pussy and then using it to jerk off. However, in a post-baby no-birth-control world, I don't want to risk another pregnancy. Any suggestions to indulge this fetish, Paul Molive? I don't know. Vasectomy? Oh, yeah. Uh, But I'm I'm confused. Um, Does she think that his semen on her is going to impregnate her? That he's coming on her vulva, and then she's... Rubbing. Rubbing and fingering and... Tugging. Tugging and clitting. Stroking, yeah. And she's worried that... I believe she's worried she's going to work enough semen into her vaginal canal that there's going to be a Greg Luganus swimmer. How dating myself with that reference. Um, (laughs) A Michael Phelps swimmer that gets all the way up. To the fallopian tubes. Yeah, you know, the chances are so, so, so remote that she will become pregnant with, you know, the rubbing and the tugging of the semen on her clit going in her vagina. But if she is concerned, then I do agree with Rachel, Rachel a vasectomy, some other, some other uh, 
kinds of protecting her against sex. Just to back up a sec, Dan, though, about, uh, you know, the fetish that developed during pregnancy. You know, we don't talk enough about uh, pregnancy sex, and I work in gynecology, and one of the messages that I sometimes am confronted with is women being told they shouldn't be having sex while they're pregnant. Now, having been (laughs) pregnant multiple times... Um, I can tell you, and the research certainly supports this, that actually what happens during pregnancy is there's all of those wonderful, beautiful blood flow to the genitals that primes a woman's body for sexual response, which means that it takes actually very little effort to have great, mind-blowing orgasms and sexual pleasure. So to the pregnant women out there who have the okay by their doctor, of course, because there are some situations where you really shouldn't be having sex during pregnancy, that could be a great time for exploration, a time maybe even for discovering new fetishes. Do you know what you shouldn't do during your pregnancy? Have as much sex as you want. This is what my mother did. She... In a very nice way, she kept diaries uh, while, she was preg- while she was pregnant with each one of us, me, my siblings. And then when we were adults in our 30s, she gave us these diaries as gifts. <laughs> and it was, you know, where, what she was thinking, what she was hoping for us, how she was feeling during the pregnancy. And then every time my dad fucked her, it was like, <laughs> la, 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 la. And I went to her and said, you guys should wonder why I'm gay. I was floating in a pool of my father's cum for nine months. <laughs> Maybe there was a hole in the placenta and I developed a taste for that shit. But it was really disturbing. So whatever you do during your pregnancy, keep a diary for kids. Just leave the sex out of it. Dan, you know that's not really why you're gay, right? No, I, I do know okay. that's why I'm gay. But I love saying that to my dad because it makes him want to jump out of the car. Dear Dan, I've been seeing this guy for three years now and we're not in a relationship because I don't know if I feel that way about him and I may not be willing to call him my BF, which is an important label for me. He's told me on several occasions that he wants to be my BF, but he's willing to keep being the guy I'm seeing. We're allowed to date and have sex with others, not that, holy crap, not that that happens often because we both suck at it. He means a lot to me, but I'm sure he's not the guy I'll end up with. Am I being a complete asshole by staying with him? Sorry this is so long. It's complicated also. Um, you're hot. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> settling down requires settling for. That's dark. <laughs> Terry's going to come out here and kick. Um, if you know he's not somebody you want to be with over the long term and you're both interested in finding somebody for the long term, then you're wasting each other's time because your dance cards are full of each other's terms and you need to let each other go and be friends and maybe FWBs. But it's cruel, actually, of you. If you know for sure, if you would write that, you know for sure he's not who you're going to end up with and he hopes that you are who he will end up with, you're being kind of shitty to him and you need to end it cleanly if you have any affection for him. Agreed. I'm an asshole. (laughs) Is it okay for a transgendered person to not disclose that they are trans before sleeping with someone? Before sleeping with someone? um, Gosh, I think it's a totally personal decision. I think it's... I could understand somebody being surprised and... (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) I could sympathize. Particularly if the trans person hasn't had bottom surgery. (laughs) That could be a big surprise. I've always thought it's in the trans person's own best interests. Um, There's just a lot of anti-trans violence in our culture, and some of it happens in that moment of discovery or uh, revelation or realization, 
And I don't think you want, as a trans person, to set yourself up for something that explosive. I think you want to lead with disclosing, always. Whether you're talking about crazy kinks, talking not that trans is a kink, crazy kinks, having HIV, um, you know, having kids, being married, being trans. I think those are things, not that the other person has a right to know, but that you will serve yourself well by disclosing. You don't want to be with somebody who doesn't want to be with you. And trans is who you are. But I'm sorry, you know, we are, I'm dodging the issue, though, right? Does the person have a right to know? Is it okay for the trans person not to disclose? Yeah, I think, you know, I, the, absolutely the person has a right not to disclose. But, you know, I completely agree with you, Dan, that whether it's uh, one's trans identity or there's a host of other issues that a person has, if you're concerned that this is going to, in some way, affect the other person, upset the other person... Have the conversation ahead of time. And if you're not comfortable having that conversation, then wait. You don't have to have sex right away. Have the conversation and then go on and have sex. I think that's terrific advice, actually. Also, I I think that um, this could come up in a safer sex conversation, um, which we we haven't fully made like a normal part of the courting process. But safer sex conversations can often be really sexy. A great way to like break the ice. And not only is it a time to disclose if you have an STD or what your status is. and if you've Or if been... you're having your period. Or... <laughs> that was some non-consensual proceeding right there. I'm afraid he might not want us. I'm going to turn the lights off. Come L- on. A little bit. A little bit. Um, but, uh, we are each of us a massive contradictions. Absolutely. Um, but, but also, you know, the safer sex conversations can be great times to say like, oh, and by the way, um, I don't like being touched in this way or like sometimes this happens or this is what my genitalia is like and this is how you use it. I mean, I think that like when we make it more uh, socially accepted and expected that we have these conversations and we actually communicate before having sex questions like this will sort of resolve themselves. And I think this is a trans question from the past. I think the last 10, 15 years of growing awareness about trans people, I really think this question, the premise of it is no one would ever want to sleep with a trans person. So this is something you have to hide. Or you will never have sex, you will never have a partner. And I think that's increasingly not the case, that there are plenty of people who are attracted to trans people or open to dating trans people, particularly in cities like San Francisco and Seattle where there are large and active and open trans communities that are really present. Vancouver. Vancouver. <laughs> so, you know, when people say, when you say you should disclose, a lot of people say, but then no one would date that person or want to be with that person. I don't think that's the case anymore. I've been married twice. Uh, straight guy, been married twice. Once to an alcoholic, once to a lesbian. <laughs> I'm thinking of trying a third time unless you think I'm marriage retarded. <laughs> we don't use the R word, not retarded, leotarded. Marriage leotarded. We're making fun of healthy, fit yoga types, not (laughs) developmentally uh, challenged folks. Uh, uh, What did they say about second marriage? Was it Oscar Wilde or Samuel Johnson, the triumph of hope over experience? (laughs) I don't think he got around to addressing third marriage. You'd have to maybe put this question to Newt Gingrich. I'm a woman in my 30s in a decade-long relationship with a man. Since childhood, I've been rubbing it out successfully. Yay! However, no one, in caps, no one I've ever slept with has been able to get the job done. Only a particular way with my right hand can do that. What can I do to reprogram myself? My God, if I break my right hand, I'm screwed. Can you reprogram your junk? Absolutely you can. So So break your fucking right hand. (laughs) 
No, uh, you know, Dan, we talked earlier about just how... <laughs> Doctor how, says don't break your right <laughs> hand. Don't so break make sure your right that's hand. very clear. But you could reprogram your left hand. So, you know, we talked about orgasm difficulties being so common in young women and they're becoming, they're far less difficult with age and with experience, etc. You can absolutely teach yourself how to reach an orgasm with a partner, but it literally is a process of tre- of teaching. It's not a light switch. So what I would do in this situation is, uh, and there's not enough in the question, we actually don't know what happens when the two of them are coming together, but have him or have your partner watch you first with your right hand. Then gradually have the partner come and put their hand on your hand and then gradually maybe have his hand on you with your hand on top of his. And through this process of a very kind of graded experience over time, this is a fabulous way to be able to reach an orgasm with a partner. Now, I want to say one more thing about that, and that is this um, myth that pervades our society that if a woman cannot reach an orgasm through vaginal stimulation, she's broken, she's got some kind of intrapsychic difficulty, she was abused as a child. No, in fact, the reality is, and lots of research shows this, is that most women, because of their hardwiring, simply don't and can't reach an orgasm through vaginal stimulation. But through the clitoris, uh, thank goodness that there are three times as many nerve pathways innervating the clitoris, clitoris as there is in the penis, that most women can be orgasmic through stimulating the clitoris. So, yeah, I would uh, encourage her to teach her partners. How to use that, their own right hand. Uh, also, you go without for a while. Like, I've successfully helped some guys, I call it death grip syndrome, guys who grip their penises so hard for the five or ten years they're masturbating before they get to partnered sex, and suddenly a mouth and anus, a, a vagina doesn't do what a right hand does, uh, to just stop using that right hand that way. And if you don't come during sex, you don't come. And you do it a different way. You use a lighter grip, you use, lube, you use lube, you just change. But you can't like try with a lighter grip, try with lube for 20 minutes, and then revert to what worked. You have to convince your junk that what used to work is never happening again, and new neural pathways will be carved. Your junk will find a way back into your brain. Yeah. And I think the same would be true with women. Yeah, you know, it's absolutely uh, true, uh, Dan, what you say about those new neural pathways. So, you know, we do a lot of work with people with spinal cord injuries or multiple sclerosis or other reasons why they're having difficulty reaching sexual response. And you can actually teach these people how to reach an orgasm by stimulating a part of their body that is, can become erogenous. So you can teach them how to reach an orgasm by stimulating their earlobe, for example. And so literally what happens is those new neural pathways are developed. The brain is plastic and fluid and grows into these wonderful, beautiful branches. And you can teach someone how to become orgasmic. My husband is orgasmic now if someone just stimulates his Instagram account. <laughs> All right, we just have a few more questions. Let's tear through these as quickly as we can, okay? We're running out of time. When my girlfriend and I have sex, mounds of white goop come out of her vagina. What's up with that? Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, go to a doctor. (laughs) We have a doctor right here. Bring your girlfriend up. Get her in the stirrups. No, she's fine. You know, if... She's fine? She's fine. If it's... Sounds like she's a tasty freeze. There is so much... There is so much variability in how much lubrication women produce. And, I mean, this, is, again, is a myth that if you produce too little, you're broken. If you produce too much, you're broken. Now, of course, there's some situations... But it sounds like she's producing vanilla frozen yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, of course, there's some situations, if she's got an STI, if she's some, got some other kind of infection, it could she ha- could have more white, goopy yogurt than usual, in which case I would encourage her to see the doctor. But if this is kind of the state of the affairs all the time, enjoy it. And the doctor has given her a clean bill of health? Completely, yes. I would see a doctor. Or it's the semen of the guy she slept with before she came over. 
Just kidding. What are some ways to overcome jealousy in poly relationships, particularly a future foursome with two couples? I don't think you defeat jealousy. I think you have to process it. Uh, the way you work through jealousy is how you prove that you have the skills to have a poly or an open relationship at all. A lot of people think because they have jealousy, they have feelings of jealousy, that that disqualifies them from a poly relationship or an open relationship or a monogamous relationship. And that's just not true. It's how you process that, how you talk about that with your partner, what accommodations you reach, whether you're considerate and kind to each other and working through it. And also then reminding yourself that people in closed monogamous relationships struggle with jealousy too. People say to you, people who are publicly in open relationships or monogamous as I am, will say, don't you ever get jealous? And I look at them and say, don't you? And you do. I took that one. Uh, the man I'm seeing has let me know that he'd be into some butt play. I'm down, but dot, dot, dot. I have no idea what to do. There's hair, and I have long fingernails. Help. Apparently, you can neither trim hair nor fingernails in Vancouver. <laughs> Some horrible law Stephen Harper pushed through to prevent this from happening. (laughs) All right, one more for you guys. I'll shut up. What's the best way to introduce new and kinky sex stuff after a mostly vanilla five-plus-year relationship? Um, I I mean, I think that honestly and and openly and with enthusiasm you know i think like demonstrating your own enthusiasm over any like shame that you might have about it um it's not cancer it's christmas yeah i have leukemia it's here this is for you (laughs) exactly yeah just introduce it um you know like let's take a trip to the sex store and go look around i mean in make it inviting and fun yeah and i'll put a plug in for my uh good friend lord morpheus (laughs) time no but honestly i can't believe that um lord lord morpheus has written a couple of fantastic books he's based out of toronto he is a fantastic he's a le- he's a kink god he's a kink leader and is a sex educator he's got two fantastic books that's where i would start what were the names of the books uh how to get kinky and how to get kinkier part two And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number at the show. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Dr. Lori Brodo on Twitter at Dr. Lori Brodo. Follow Rachel Lark on Twitter at Rachel Lark Music. A special thanks to everyone at the Vogue Theater, Union Events, and the Northwest Podcast Festival. Thanks also to Brian Pines and our audience here at the Vogue Theater today. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for downloading.